Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recording. This is Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Never say never, but never. I plan on leading this team with an unwavering standard. Everybody love everybody. We will call it the golden standard, and this is the standard that will drive this football program to its 12th national championship. With Sean Styers. I like that guy. What you could do is, is you could have a barbecue on that it's head. A good time, you know what I mean? On Sports Radio 960 AM, double. USBT. He's running down the middle by the 50. He's bare-chested and banging his chest. They're chasing him. They're not going to get him. And now your host, Sean Styers. How we doing? Rolling into a brand new week. Hope you're having a good day. It's been uh, different shades of nice outside in South Bend. Feeling like much more like spring-like weather. Spring that the rest of the country is used to anyway. In South Bend, I mean, you know how it is. It's had snow in April. <laughs> that's that's spring around here. But uh, turned into what uh, was a pretty good sports weekend. Baseball's opening weekend. Cubs and White Sox both won their series against divisional rivals, so that's always a plus. Tiger gave it a go at the Masters. You know, faded as the weekend went along, but you know he made the cut, walked the entire course, played the whole thing out, all seventy-two holes. You know, so I think that that is a little bit of a victory for a guy who is, you know, coming back after nearly a year and a half off, and it sounds like he's going to play the Open when, uh, you know, formerly the British Open, the Open at St. Andrews uh, next. So, I mean, the guy decides he just wants to to play the majors, let him play the majors. But Tiger stole the show from Scotty Scheffler, and, you know, that's a little hard to do considering Scheffler's the world's number one ranked player right now and he's also only 25 years old and he's won four of his last six tournaments after taking the green jacket yesterday I had some friends who are much more serious golf fans than me who were kind of mad about the whole Tiger Woods coverage the coverage that Woods was getting and the attention he took away from the other golfers and all that kind of stuff you know it's look it's called playing the hits okay network tv radio tv local you know Always going to play the hits. No music station goes out of their way to play music nobody wants to listen to. They play the hits because when they, you turn on the radio, they want you to stick around for a while, right? That's what people want to hear. And even after going almost a year and a half without playing, Tiger Woods, still the most famous golfer in the world, i.e. the hit, you know. And, uh, you know, diehards are going to watch no matter what, but casual fans uh, are going to tune in to see Tiger, especially – this kind of scenario. The first thing they want to know when they turn on the TV is, what did Tiger do? What's he doing right now? What's he doing next? And case in point, Friday's Masters coverage on ESPN drew three and a half million viewers. Yeah, that might not number alone might not mean much, but that is up thirty-one percent from last year. What's the difference from last year? Oh, Tiger Woods, a thirty-one percent increase. That's just on ESPN, the cable number. The CBS numbers had to be just through the roof. I know they had to be pretty happy about it. But Scotty Scheffler, the Masters champ, Wood says, you know, again, he might play the Open 
He's aiming toward playing the Open at St. Andrews. How about some football, though? But you know what else I watched this weekend? I watched the movie The Town. You ever seen that? It's set in Boston, bank robbers and all that. Ben Affleck, Jeremy Renner, John Hamm, Blake Lively. And it dawned on me all of a sudden. You know, we were talking about Brian Kelly last week. Brian Kelly is basically Blake Lively's character in the town, Chris. You know, great outward appeal. He's got that polish and all that. You know, he looks the part. There are obvious benefits to being in that relationship. But there's also that high-maintenance aspect that you just have to live with if you're going to keep them around. You know, you're out on a Friday night with Chris, and there's basically a 99% chance that at some point something's going to happen that's going to lead to some kind of fight getting started, a beer bottle getting broken, whatever. You know, you think you're better than me, you know, that whole thing. And, you know, just like especially in early in Brian Kelly's time at Notre Dame, there was a 99% chance of purple face on the sideline and, you know, some unsuspecting quarterback getting a chunk taken out of his butt at some point, right? Or, you know, when something went wrong in a game and, you know, they lost, a center would get thrown under the bus or a reporter would get reamed for asking a totally legitimate question afterwards. And, you know, it turned into, I don't care what you have to say or write, but of course, the fact that he's always had to say he didn't care means, of course, he cares that much more. A lot, a lot more. You know, in the high maintenance, if Ben Affleck's Doug was going to keep Lively's Chris around, he... He knew he was always going to have to buy her flowers, a necklace, or, you know, whatever she had to be tended to. Or, you know, even, you know, might even have to get into a fight to defend her honor, that kind of thing. Very high maintenance and all to keep her happy because there was no way it could ever be just a quiet relationship. Same with Brian Kelly. Needed the AstroTurf on the field. Wanted all the game day traditions changed. Got rid of the game day mass. You know, now it's being brought back. Had, you know, had to buy him all the new shiny things to keep him happy. Some were warranted, eh, you know, some even on the way out, but still wanted more. And nothing was ever going to be enough. So sometimes you just have to realize it's not enough and move on from the high maintenance relationship. And that's what Notre Dame did. They weren't going to keep, give it in to Chris or um, Brian Kelly and, you know, let him, let him, Walk away to LSU to be their new hard-to-please main squeeze. So instead, Notre Dame has Marcus Freeman now, who every, you know, he's everyone's best friend right now, right? I mean, pretty much killing it on the recruiting trail. Just met with the media for the fourth time since spring practice started not even a month ago, and we're less than two weeks away from the end of spring practice now with a blue-gold game a week from Saturday. You'll hear it here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. But Freeman had some things to say after Saturday's latest practice. You know, speaking of spring practice winding down, starting off with his to-do list for the rest of the spring. Here it is. Well, what we'll do is we'll evaluate, hey, what situational football do we need to really, really um, get on film? I know we don't have we don't have enough third down plays on film from practice. We need to, we need to focus on some more third down. Um, but we'll get, I'll get with the coordinators and we'll really sit down and say, okay, hey, what situations do you need on your side of the ball offensively and defensively into the game situations that we need to make sure we get on film so that we can teach and coach from it? Um, you know, we're going to have to – I wasn't pleased with the way we kicked today. We missed a couple field goals. Um, so I want to put those guys in a little bit more competitive situations. Um, but 
I mean, other than that, we'll evaluate as a staff, and again, we'll end with the spring game. Yeah, and that kicking thing, like if I see, just based on the limited amount of that we've been able to see, last we did we didn't get to see practice Saturday, but last week when we did get to see some practice, uh, you know, the the kickers were a little bit inconsistent, both of them out there, and not necessarily from long range either. So that's is uh, a little bit of a concern how are you going to dial that up a little bit but the situational football the other big thing for Marcus Freeman right now getting some of that on film so that's uh, some things that they can continue to evaluate not just this spring but into the summer and going into training camp and all that different kind of stuff but the other top of the list kind of thing the quarterback competition You've got your Tyler Buckner. You've got your Drew Pine. How does Marcus Freeman feel about those two guys right now? Really, really pleased today. Um, the only way to win the jersey scrimmage is takeaways. Only way. And so um, uh, up until the second to last series, the offense didn't turn the ball over one time. You know, and then we end up having a pick um, late in the scrimmage. But by that time, you know, the offense was way ahead. Um, so I was really, really pleased with the work um, that they did today of taking care of the ball, making good decisions. It's a great competition, especially between uh, Tyler and Drew. It is. And um, it's one that probably after this Jersey scrimmage, I'll sit down with Tommy and kind of say, hey, give me your grades. You know, let's talk about um, where you see these two. And, and uh, you know, it, it's still going to be an evolving process in terms of until you name a starter. But I wouldn't hesitate to put either two in the game because they're both really, really good football players and they can help us win. And so um, I look forward to sitting down with Coach Reese and kind of really just looking at it from the quarterback's point of view from, hey, did they make the right decision and then did they execute? You know, and so um, it, it's been really good. We got to see both of them in the blue gold game last year. We'll get to see both of them again this year. What's that going to look like? Because that's what everyone's going to come away talking about it's going to be interesting as well they're going to do a draft next week for the blue gold game we'll talk more about that at that point but that competition it's an important competition both of these guys got uh, some experience actual game day experience last year two different games for drew pine helped the comeback win or the win against wisconsin couldn't quite lead a comeback against cincinnati those were the only two games drew pine played in but as we know Tyler Buckner saw a lot more action throughout the season sprinkled in with uh, the Buckner package but it is uh, he's more the than just a package guy right now but the way Marcus Freeman is describing it almost like they're 1A and 1B I I I still think that that Tyler Buckner has the edge again just based on what we have been able to see so far which still not a ton but uh, enough enough to go on right now just looking at who's getting the reps and how the reps are split and all those different things and how they look as well but the 1a to 1b conversation marcus freeman talked early on about how you know you got your depth chart and you've got some guys who are definite twos and wanted to see some progress as spring went along in terms of those guys who are number two on the depth chart maybe working their way into a 1a 1B situation where it is a lot closer than a definite one and a definite two. Like, you know, you're making them kind of have to choose if you're in a 1A, 1B situation. Somebody's got to be out there, but, uh, you know, a lot closer than just one or two on the depth chart. So 
who's gone from that number two maybe into a 1A, 1B type conversation as the spring has progressed? Yeah, I look at the DB position, right? The, the safety position, that's a deep group. Right, you talk about Houston and DJ and Brandon Joseph and, and uh, Ramon and Xavier. That group will have a 1A and 1B for sure. And um, it's something going into the spring you probably didn't know. The D line is extremely deep, you know, and, and that's with Jason not practicing, you know, but with Foskey and Justin and um, Howard Cross has had an unbelievable spring. I mean, an unbelievable spring. And he's done a great job. And Lacey, and I can go on and on, but I, I think the depth of our our middle, right? Up the middle, we're really, really deep, especially defensively from the D-line um, to the linebackers to the safeties. Right up the middle, we're deep. You know, we, we have to continue to develop some young guys. You know, Cam's out, Cam's out at corner, so we got to develop some young guys at corner. Um, the the O-line, I, I wouldn't say we're 1As and 1Bs yet, but I'm really, really pleased with some of those 1As. Um, and so, again, the running back position would never be. I think up the middle, we're really, really strong. You know, and then we have to continue to develop on the edges. Things sounding good. And, of course, they just got the uh, defensive line grad transfer from Harvard last week as well. So he'll be coming in, adding some more depth to that defensive line, which has always been a position of strength. You do have a new position coach with Al Washington taking over for Mike Elston this year. But that, uh, you know, that safety talk sounds pretty promising because you're going from a, a, a unicorn back there and Kyle Hamilton with a with a guy with a different size and skill set than really just about anyone's ever seen at that position before all the things he could do for you at the back end of that defense even though there are some amateur NFL uh, draft evaluators who might think otherwise but to hear the fact that they've got so much going on back there because those guys when when Kyle Hamilton was out at the end of the season last year for over a month, they really picked up their game, and you've got some guys who are added to the mix back there. And like Xavier Watts was asked, you know, he's a guy who switched from wide receiver to safety last year, and he was asked what a week or so ago if if he'd like to go back at, to to wide receiver, considering the uh, position group is so thin over there. And he said he wants to stay at safety. He's enjoying that. And then you got the grad transfer Brandon Joseph coming in as well. So it sounds like a lot of promise. In there, Ramona Henderson, Houston Griffith, DJ, all those different guys back there at the back end of the secondary. And they've talked about sort of making them a little bit more interchangeable as well. And so uh, good to hear that things are going well back there at the back end of the secondary at safety. What about kick return candidates, though? Yeah, Chris Tyree is really, really good. Um, he did a good job last year. He'll be the guy, I think. We'll obviously try to make sure he's the guy. Um, but Brandon Joseph has done it, too. He's obviously done some punt returning. Uh, so I know he, uh, Brandon Joseph and Matt Salerno both were back there uh, returning punts today. Chris Tyree, and, and of course the highlight for him, that kickoff return against Wisconsin last year at Soldier Field. We finally got to see what he's really capable of, and I'm, I'm really curious to see what this looks like with a different special teams mind in charge who you know Brian Mason sounds like he is really aggressive and and wanting to take advantage of some different skill sets and really wanting to make things happen with special teams and not just playing it safe quite a bit so really really curious to see where that goes for the Fighting Irish with Brian Mason in charge and now this is of course the recurring theme as we have mentioned a few times anyway Marcus Freeman's first time as head coach uh, leading a spring practice 
for the foot uh, for the first time. How has he put his stamp on the practice routine that the Irish have in his first spring as head coach? Well, I'm a routine guy, right? And so I like to script them all out and just say, let's let's every day have the same routine. But then you have a practice like Tuesday. I wasn't happy with the way we practiced Tuesday. Thought it was we got the work in, but we got through it. And so when you get through things, you say, okay, how can we change something up to make sure we get their attention? So Thursday was a little bit different. We started off with a competitive opener. We put O-line versus D-line, one-on-ones, and then we did wideouts versus corners, one-on-one, and then we did – we had some coaches catching punts, and it's just – we had to change it up. And sometimes to me it's, it's – you set your routine, but you got to be able to gaze, like, what does this team need? Tuesday wasn't great practice, so I'm going to go challenge them on Thursday, right? I'm going to get in front of the room. I'm going to challenge them and tell them we can't have an average practice. But – also, in my head, it's going to be like, okay, how can you slightly change things up so it's something new to them? Interesting stuff. And, you know, just changing things up out there a little bit. And uh, this has been a uh, obviously a new staff put together by Marcus Freeman, all these different guys, and that's kind of the thing that we kind of keep checking in on as well, how this staff – is coming together and those kind of things. And one thing they do is they have daily staff meetings. What are some of the benefits that Marcus Freeman sees in that? Uh, I mean, it, it starts with everybody being on the same page, right? And, and a lot of those staff meetings we go over right now, you go over the practice schedule, right? You go over recruiting, you go over um, any points of emphasis you need to hit, you know? And so we know everybody in their schedule has a, a block to make sure we get together. There might be days I text them and say, hey, we don't need to have a staff meeting. But I want us to all be in a routine of, hey, every day at this time, let's plan to get together. Um, I don't know how long it will be. But I think when you have a group of a lot of new people or people that maybe have been here, the ability to get together, spend time with each other, and talk about things is so important. How can you trust people if you don't spend time with them? And, and that's the type of leader I am. I'm a teammate. And so if I want these guys to trust me, I need them to be around me. And we'll have, listen, we have honest conversations. We, you know, sometimes it's just strictly boom, boom, here's the practice schedule, here's the daily schedule, we're on the same page. And sometimes we sit and we say, okay, here's the expectations. Here's things that we have to make sure we're on the same page and we all have to be speaking the same language. And so um, it can depend on what is needed for that day. And it just sounds like there is, uh, there, there's, there's a lot of that. And uh, Whenever you have different personalities, I don't think it's ever going to be 100% perfect, but if, if it's going to be close, just the kind of people person Marcus Freeman is seems like he's going to be the guy. Like you know, Tommy Reese talking after practice the other day about Marcus Freeman coming and hanging it out in the GA room, that, that head coaches don't do that kind of stuff. And obviously everyone's pretty drawn to, uh, to Marcus Freeman and uh, just a lot of good vibes coming out of uh, coming out of the – the Goog and the Irish Athletic Center and everywhere else with Marcus Freeman in charge right now. Everybody happy about it. We're going to take a time out and talk more Notre Dame football coming up next with Brian Driscoll from irishbreakdown.com. Budweiser's weekday sports beat is brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this bun's for you. Tim Growl State Farm Insurance. Save money on home and auto insurance with Tim. Serving both Indiana and Michigan, call 574-232-9981. Barnabies of Mishawaka and Granger, serving our community while serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. And, of course, the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger's a story we can end. Find out how at feedindiana.com.
Org. A timeout, and then Brian Driscoll from IrishBreakdown.com talks a little Notre Dame football next on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat rolls on on Sports Radio 960 AM. WSBT, every Monday we welcome in the one, the only, Brian Driscoll from irishbreakdown.com. And today is no different. How are you today, Brian? I am good, and it is good for the rest of the world that there's only one of me. I don't know if it could handle two. <laughs> well, you said it, not me. So <laughs> You know, I'm nothing if not a realist. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, let's, you know, let's get with this topic has kind of died down, I guess, over the weekend, reached its peak by the end of the week last week. I didn't get a chance to talk to you about it. You wrote about it. And I looked at your your tweet when you tweeted the article for it. You you had a lot of interaction on that tweet about uh, what you wrote about Brian Kelly after the comments that he made last week pointing, you know, fingers back at Notre Dame and all that stuff. I hear you rubbing your hands right now. So you just fire away. <laughs> you just tell me what you think about this whole thing, buddy. I'll be here in about 10 minutes or so. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, it hasn't died down uh, if you look on my website. It's okay. It's the number one red story for me the last four days. It hasn't died down in regards to former players reaching out to me and saying thank you because it needed to be said. Uh, it's died down on Twitter because I, there's just not a lot for people to say other than either Can, I agree with you or I'm an LSU homer and you're wrong. So, I mean, <laughs> you're you know, an it, LSU it homer, huh? Oh, they're right. an LSU homer. I got you. I got right. Because the, the only response I ever get is, well, did what is what he's saying untrue? And they want to point to the facility standpoint. I'm like, no one at Notre Dame is saying that Notre Dame has the nation's number one facilities or that they don't need an on site chef or that there isn't a need for their nutrition program to be upgraded. That is absolutely true. But is that the reason you didn't win? And my whole thing, Sean, is when when you do the best that you can and you put everything on the table, say, look, we've done this, we've done this, we've done this, we've literally done all we can, and it's not good enough because the school's not supporting you, then you can then say, hey, I'm complaining about this, right? But when you're not willing to put in the work on the recruiting trail, when I have former player after former player after former player after former player saying he would meet with us when we came back for winter break and then we wouldn't see him again till we started spring ball. Wow. Over and over and over. When, when I've got former coaches and assistant coaches saying, we used to beg him to call kids and he just, just wouldn't do it. Every now and then he'd find a kid that he really liked and he'd call him. When those things are going on, don't talk to me about not having an on-site chef. Don't talk to me about the new nutrition program being the problem. Yeah. You're the problem at that point in time. When your players don't believe that you care about them at all, that's not because you don't have an on-site chef. That's not because you know you don't have the nutrition program that you should have. And that was the kind of the, the reason for the snarkiness in my article of, you know, you know, Notre Dame, you know, going, it's not Brian Kelly's fault that he decided to go for two when you're, when you're already up 11 <laughs> in the fourth quarter against Northwestern, which allowed a three and six Northwestern team to come back and tie the game up mm-hmm. when you should have never done that. Wasn't your fault. It was the fact you don't have an onsite chef, right? And, and it's things like that that make me say, look, if you, if you truly did everything that you could do and it wasn't good enough, I'd be sympathetic to what you're saying. But you didn't. Everyone around the program knows you didn't. And this is nothing more than what we've seen from Brian Kill over the years. It's an it's a it's a scripted and organized sort of PR campaign from a guy who came up 
with a political background that's meant to change the narrative verbally as opposed to putting in the work to change the narrative. Right. And, you know, spin, I think we could spin city. Yeah, yeah, exactly it, Sean. And it's like last year when we're when we're getting the whole like all of a sudden I see tweets and articles from all over about how this is the best coaching job that that Brian has ever done. And I'm like, where did this all come from in a week? You know, it's like in 2019, after the Michigan and Virginia Tech game, when all of a sudden there's like four or five different articles about Phil Dracovic. Like, wait a minute, hold on a second. Phil Dracovic didn't play in those games. How is this Phil Dracovic's fault, right? And, and you start to see that, you know, and it's like, okay, here we go again, right? This is where we've been for years. And it's no nothing different at LSU. And I think the the more interesting question would be, why? What was the reason for it? What was the reason for the shots at Notre Dame? And, and honestly, Sean, if it would have just been about the excuses for, you know, the nutrition and all that, I probably wouldn't have said anything because I'm ready to be done with Brian Kelly. But when he <laughs> said in there, I want to be around players that want to be great, that's like the third time he said that. Yeah. He said it in his LSU introductory press conference. I let it slide because he's just trying to endear himself to his he new has team, to, right. whatever. Play right? to his but new this base. This is the third yeah. time he said this in a very public fashion. And at that point in time, it's like, you know what? It's time to clap back a little bit. And, and uh, you know, if he just would have kept his freaking mouth shut, then, I, I you know, I, I wouldn't be – I didn't wake up that day saying, I want to write about Brian Kelly, you know. Uh, it just But it needed to be it needed to be responded to. And um, I'm, I'm not going to lie if I didn't say I wasn't uh, – I wasn't uh, take a little joy in the, that I was the one that was able to do that. And to you, be honest with you, what was so curious? To I mean, there are a lot of things curious about it, but there are two different articles on two different outlets. You know, two, a couple on national the outlets. The, the same day they come out, you've got the Associated Press and you've got CBS Sports. Two different writers, but basically, the agenda was the same for him. You know, there was it was all the same kind of stuff in both of them. So there was obviously. For whatever reason, he felt like this was a narrative that that he really needed to be pushing. I, I, I and why I guess at this point is is the question to me. But and I've thought a lot about that. To be honest with you, like what was what was the point of this? You know, is it is it that you know recently there's been some articles? I wrote an article last week, and and you know I think I've been living rent free in Brian Kelly's head the last couple of years based on things that I've been told over and over again from people inside the program. Uh, but you know I wrote an article about why Brian Kelly would or Marcus Freeman would win at Notre Dame, and maybe where the previous guy didn't. Maybe there's the stuff about all the traditions that Marcus Freeman is bringing back, and Brian Kelly. You know, felt like you know his legacy wasn't getting enough love and respect because we all know he's obsessed with that. Uh, if he was as obsessed with actually winning as he was about his legacy, maybe he actually would have a legacy that you know people would want to maybe take a little bit more pride in, and in one that would include I don't know winning a. That was the funny thing about the one article, like oh the rings and all. I'm like they give out rings for losing in the playoff and the losing major bowls, like. You know, like, the guy never won a major bowl game, never won in the playoff, never won in the BCS game, went, like, what, 3-16 and 16 in his career against top 10 teams. It's like, you know, oh, he's won the most games ever. That's a longevity award. He also lost more games than any coach in Notre Dame history. You know, I mean, so, you know, it, it's just one of those things where maybe there was something to that or maybe he's, he's uh, setting the tone for, well, when Marcus Freeman wins, it's because the school gave him what it never gave me, which is a lie. Right. Because they still don't have someone running their nutrition program, in my opinion, from what I'm 
told if it if it's changed it's changed recently which is that's not good that's not that's that's a problem but you're not going to hear marcus freeman complaining and whining about it to the media but that's the reality of it you know the other and Go ahead, John. I, I did, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I thought you were no. kind of... If you didn't, we were going to talk for till like next 35 yeah, minutes, so the, it needed to be done. Right. I mean, the nutrition aspect, it, it still needs to be improved. And But like the Definitely. thing with the chef, it's like he's trying to... He, you know, he called them box lunches that his players... Which I mean, is a lie. He's trying to make people think that he's that, that he's given them a, a, a sub sandwich and a bag of chips. Right. You know, that's, it's a flat that's, out lie. For, could not be further from the truth. He completely mischaracterized it. And I know this isn't just a it. guess, Sean. This isn't a guess. You've been in the Goog when they've been yes. feeding players. I've been yes. in the Goog when they're feeding players. Trust me. They're eating well. Yes. Now, do I think they should provide more meals in the Goog? Yes, I do. Uh, but does it really matter if the food is being, uh, like, from a, it's a logistic problem. Right. That's it. The food it's is there when like, the players need it. Right. right. And now it's being cooked somewhere else and been being brought over there. I mean, I... Is that is like so? It's like okay, I'm getting the Roots Chris steak, but in one instance I'm eating it there, and the other instance is being delivered to my house. It's right. still a Roots Chris steak, right? Exactly. And and that's what he's complaining about. It, but but that's what he does, right? And and you know someone doesn't have the truth on their side when they have to lie about things. And that's why I've always said is if you can stick to the truth to make your point, then you have a point to make. But Brian Kelly's never been able to do that with Notre Dame. And the thing that bothers me is. There's a lot of people that wanted him gone after 2016. A lot, and I'm not talking fans. I'm talking people. I've been told this by very credible sources. Very prominent people at Notre Dame were ready to be done with Brian Kelly, except for one very important person, and that's Jack Swarbrick. Now we could argue whether it was the right decision or wrong decision, whatever the case may be. But there was one person that had Brian Kelly's back at that time. And it was Jack Swarbrick. So, and he who's given Brian Kelly pay raise after pay raise and has stepped up whenever brian kelly had a need jack swarbrick got it done for him sometimes it takes a little bit longer because the way notre dame does things but he always got brian kelly what he wanted and needed so to see him throw jack swarbrick under the bus now too is just another example of brian kelly doesn't care about anyone but brian kelly yeah and no matter how long you serve him or how loyal you are to him the minute you don't help him he's going to throw under the bus and if i could tell you publicly and i won't because it's not pg-13 the things he said to some of his coaches that decided not to go with him, you'd know exactly what I'm talking about. Right. Because if you if you if if you're not on the Brian Kelly hype train, then you're someone that needs to be to be destroyed. And that's why he he doesn't have a a, a lot of love lost from a lot of his former players. And they have too much respect in the university to speak up. But if my DM and my Twitter and my phone calls and my emails are any indication uh, there's a lot of people that wanted to say what I was able to say about Brian Kelly and the things he said and has done in regards to how he treated his former players and how he treated the, the Notre Dame program. And, you know, there's a reason he was never close to Lou Holtz. And Marcus Freeman, from what I'm told from several former players, is actually very close to Lou Holtz. It's, it's just a mindset of one guy values what Notre Dame has to offer and what Notre Dame can do for him, and the other guy always looked at Notre Dame as what it can, you know, what – he can do for it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. well, I'm this, you know, you're only good because of me and all this other kind of stuff. And I'm like, brother, being the standard at Notre Dame isn't being better than Charlie Weiss and Bob Davey and Tyrone Willingham. You're eighth all time in, in win percentage of coaches who've been here at least five years. You coached here longer and you coached during an era where you played 12 or 13 games every year. You know, the, 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 the gap between him and Lou Holtz and win percentage is monumental. You know, because and, and you look at the record versus top 25 teams, it's not even close. 
Jack Swarbrick also gave you such a watered-down schedule that you could go 11-1 and last year and not beat a single-ranked opponent. Tony Rice, in two years as the starting quarterback, won more games against top 15 teams in two years than Notre Dame has won since the post-2016 turnaround. <laughs> in five years, in two years, in 88 and 89, Notre Dame beat more top 15, top 25 teams than Notre Dame has beat the last five years combined. That's amazing. That's what happens when you can make arguments with the actual facts and data. <laughs> it, is, it, it was obviously, as you've outlined there, a very high-maintenance relationship that, you know, Jack Swarbrick had to keep giving and giving to Brian Kelly to continually appease him. And it, and it, and it sounds like here towards the end, because, you know, like a, some of the reports, it may have been from you and some other people as well, just that – Brian Kelly's agent, I believe, was was calling in that last week, mm-hmm. trying to you know, trying to work you know the next, the next gift you know the next shiny new mm-hmm. toy you know that he wanted you know if he was going to stay around and it sounds like mm-hmm. Jack Swarbrick did finally you know kind of put his foot down and it was like put up or shut up it's like we've given it, you it all these really things the whole year yeah it's yeah like it was we, really, it was really the whole year Sean and 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 it's it's why Brian Kelly the week before the Wisconsin game if you go go back and research what he said to Joel Klatt before the Wisconsin game and and you just see that the groundwork had been laid that was what the whole greatest coaching job ever uh, you know he's done is that where was that started about. it was him using his pawns right to talk about his great coaching job so that he could go back to Jack Swarbrick and be like see you know and 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 Jack Swarbrick finally had had enough I, like, I just gave you a big pay raise you've already earned enough money to lose bowl games right and, and if you want another pay raise go win one win a games. championship yeah exactly and and that's what it would boil down to and good for Jack Swarbrick to to finally say enough is enough right if you'd spend as much time coaching as you do trying to complain about what you don't have you might actually be able to do something and that's the thing for me, is is Notre Dame perfect? Heck no. Are there improvements Notre Dame needs to make institutionally as a program? Absolutely. There's plenty that can be done. But that's not what kept you back because you didn't put in the time and the investment you know, as the head coach to maximize your program. And, and if you don't do that, then you really don't know what exactly your program needs to do. And that's my whole point. If you're not investing the right amount of time and energy on the things that you know you have and that you need to do, like, I don't know, recruiting, well, then you can't tell me exactly. You, you're not going to have as good of a gauge on what the problem actually is. Well, that's remember after they had lost to Alabama and then signing day came up, you know, what, a month and a half later or whatever mm-hmm. it was. And, you know, the, the, the stuff was getting out about, you know, Brian Kelly not being that hot on the, you know, and, and being reluctant mm-hmm. to recruit and had to be the closer and all those different kind of things. And then remember the, the, oh, yeah. the signing day press conference where it we got the new Brian narrative. Kelly, yeah. it, was, it was a bunch of Brian Kelly hype men talking about Brian Kelly. Right. And that's exactly what it was. It's like, you don't, you wouldn't need to do this if you were out there doing the job. Right. And, you know, and, and the whole thing to me is it was constantly talking down to players. And I actually, it's funny. I put a tweet up a couple weeks ago about some stuff. Brian Kelly's mantra was basically however many games he won, 113 of them, those are all about him. The 39 games they were lost, that was all about Notre Dame. All he was 113 yeah. to 0, and Notre Dame was 0 39. Right. Like, that's how his mind works. And it, that's what it always was. It was always about him. And, 
you know, it wasn't, you know, like I said in the article, it wasn't that they threw the ball all the time in the hurricane. It was that Deshaun Kaiser couldn't throw in a hurricane or <laughs> Sam Mustafer couldn't snap in a hurricane. Right. You know, in all these things, he would always blame the other players, my guys versus Charlie's guys and all this other kind of nonsense. And it was never about him stepping up. And then when he would kind of half, half, you know, half-heartedly say it was on the coaches, there was always some kind of but that really wasn't about him. Mm-hmm. And that's who he was all about. It was, it was like, just do the work. The whole shopping down a different aisle thing is another example of disrespecting your players. What you're saying, and this is why I hated that phrase, Sean, and you know me. I've hated that from the moment they said it. It's like you're saying, my guys aren't good enough. I have to shop down a different aisle, because my, and, and, which means my guys aren't good enough. That's why we lose to Bama. No, you chose to shop down a different aisle because, hey, let me explain something to you all. The standards at Notre Dame have not changed since Marcus Freeman was hired as the defensive coordinator. They didn't change at all. But the recruiting but all sudden, rankings have. <laughs> exactly. But all of a sudden, these great players that were in a different aisle than Brian Kelly was willing to shop down before wanted to come to Notre Dame. Notre Dame's going to finish with the number six recruiting class in the country in 2022 here, coming up soon. And and when you look at it, it was the best class they've had since 2013, which is coming off the 2012 season. And they right now have the number one class in the country, and they're trying to close on some five stars. So all of a sudden – they're shopping down the aisles that Alabama and Ohio State and those teams are shopping down. Why? Did something change at Notre Dame? Not a dang thing except the staff. Right. That's it. 100%. Yep. Full stop. So that's why I've always despised Brian Kelly because you didn't do the work you needed to do. You blamed everybody else. And now the people, now that Marcus Freeman is showing what a fraud you were, you now got to try to speak up against Notre Dame because you're being exposed and I just I'm tired of it and I wasn't having it anymore and you know said what I felt needed to be said yes yes you did um (laughs) on the on the subject of recruiting and I enjoyed it by the way on the subject of recruiting uh we're gonna have a new guy from Mm -hmm. irishbreakdown.com joining us tomorrow he covers recruiting as well as uh some NFL draft stuff as well so tell us a little bit about him yeah, his name is Ryan Roberts, and you know Ryan had been writing for me for about a year, just kind of helping me out, writing an article here or there. He was a he was a full time teacher, but he was a big draft junkie, big Notre Dame fan. He's had a Notre Dame podcast in the past, and uh, I, I when I went to hire, you know, put out that I wanted to hire a recruiting person, he said, hey, you know, I know recruiting's not my background, but I'd, I'd love to talk to you. And so I, I interviewed him as a favor, honestly, Sean, because I, I, he's a good guy and he'd done some stuff for me and he's really good with the draft, like really good with the draft. I was like, yeah, it's recruiting and I don't know if you understand the thing. And he blew my socks off in the interview and just was prepared and the work ethic and the grind. And so now he's not teaching anymore. This is his full-time gig. He's super happy and he's doing a great job hmm. covering recruiting. So uh, I'm I'm thrilled, and then of course I get the bonus of I also have now a draft guy, you know, so I got yeah. a two for one, big time. Um, so he does a great job. We just had Jordan Reed from ESPN on our podcast the other day because Ryan has a relationship with him. We've had a guy from Bleach Report on our our podcast talking to draft because of that background. But boy, he's really doing a great job in recruiting, and I think people are going to. He sounds he sounds like this is kind of funny. His voice literally sounds like Mel Kiper Jr. We really get that all the time. Yeah, okay. Like, oh, he sounds like Mel. He's just got. He's a New Jersey guy, kind of outside Philly. You know, got that East Coast 
little bit of, of speech pattern. And so it's really funny, like if he gets and he doesn't like it, you know? <laughs> he kind of likes it. But it's, I think it's kind of like, you know, tired of hearing it, uh-huh. you know, but but man, it's like I used to joke with him about it. Like when he first started getting on the podcast, like, oh, my gosh, you sound like you're like Mel Kiper Jr. Jr. You know, what I mean? <laughs> so if you remember that, that skit from uh, Sammy Money Davis Jr. With, uh, Jr. Jr. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I'm so glad you know that. But Ryan, Ryan's a great guy too, and, and, a, and a Notre Dame fan as well. So, uh, and he's living out his dream, and we're thrilled to have him as part of the Irish Breakdown. All right, awesome. So we look forward to having Ryan Roberts with us on tomorrow. Real quickly, Brian, what else is going on right now at Irish Breakdown? Well, tons of recruiting. Notre Dame had some big-time visitors on campus this past weekend, so we've got recaps of how all of that went with them. And then, of course, in two weeks, Notre Dame's going to have their spring game, which obviously the spring game part's fun, but there's a lot of big-time players are going to be on campus that weekend. So we'll have a lot about that leading up to it as well. And, uh, of course, we'll continue to talk the NFL draft as we get closer and closer to that. So a lot going on here over these next couple weeks. All right. Sounds great. Great stuff as always, Brian. I will talk to you. Uh, new day. We'll talk to Brian on Mondays and Fridays now. So we won't talk to Brian until Friday, but looking forward to that going into the weekend. Sounds good. Look forward to it. All right. Take care. Brian Driscoll, irishbreakdown.com. Take a time out. More Budweiser's weekday sports beat coming up next. Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. Hey, go yard all summer long with $5 Dinger Tuesdays on FanDuel Sportsbook. This season, all customers will get 5 bucks for every home run hit by both teams when you place a $25 to hit a home run wager on Tuesday MLB games. Best part about Dinger Tuesdays is even if your bet loses, FanDuel will pay you $5 for every home run. So, what are you waiting for? Pick your home run hitter and turn big swings into big wins. There's no better place to bet America's pastime than on America's number one sportsbook. Head over to your FanDuel account or download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Sign up using my promo code WSBT. That's promo code WSBT. Must be 21 plus and present in Indiana. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable site credit that expires in seven days. Max bonus 25 bucks. Restrictions apply. See full terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-9-WITH-IT. Well, you may have heard former Notre Dame women's basketball player Sam Brunel is now a Virginia Cavalier back in her home state. She's from Rutgersville, Virginia, and uh, announced her transfer over the weekend. So Sam Brunel has two years of eligibility remaining when uh, Notre Dame went out to, to Virginia, played at Virginia when she was a freshman. There was something like, between one and two thousand fans who showed up just for her, it was um, pretty amazing. So uh, Sam Burnell back out there at the University of Virginia. Notre Dame has four starters back from last year's team now, and uh, just six scholarship players for next year. And one player not to count on to be transferring to Notre Dame is Sydney Parrish. She's uh, the junior to be. From South Hamilton Southeastern High School went in uh, Fishers. She played her first two years at Oregon. She was among uh, Notre Dame was among the finalists when she picked Oregon out of high school. But Parrish announced over the weekend she is going to Indiana. So Parrish coming back to Indiana, but she is going to be an IU Hoosier after transferring from Oregon. Take a timeout. Sports Center update on the way, and Bobby Hensley in for Rapid Fire in Hour Two tonight on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. You're listening to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat with Sean Styers.
on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. Hour two of Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Better turn that up for whatever weekend or reason. <laughs> Bobby Hensley's in. You, you say that as you turn my mic on. That's <laughs> yes, a little, little rude right there. And it's going to be one of those days, isn't it? Hey, why not? Yeah, why they're not? all those days. That's right. So how's it going? It's going wonderful. How are you? Doing pretty good. Yeah? Did you have a good weekend? Not bad. Did you do anything fun? Uh, went out to went to a place in downtown Mishawaka. Enjoyed a nice little meal. Mm-hmm. And then do you remember the last time you and I went out and watched football and ate wings and all that stuff? Part of it. And then <laughs> I was going to say... <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it got a little foggier toward the end, but then we left the wing place and we went and played pool for a little bit. Yeah, wife and I went to the pool place and and uh, played a few rounds there. Were you more successful than you were against me? Now remember, we're not saying names, right? I know, but I was more successful. She had a really bad night. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was different than when we went. A little different, it seemed like than when you and I went. Yeah. Yeah, well, I was just happy I got to beat you in some pool. But also ran into someone that we know there. That was fun. I hadn't seen him in a while. He's a White Sox fan, too. So That's cool. You'd enjoy that. Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, it's a good year to be a White Sox fan. It is. It is. I mean, it's. it didn't look like it was going to be a good year the way it started. I mean, how many guys are on the injured list right now? A lot. Now? And a, a lot of the, it's a lot of crucial people, too. Yeah. It's like you go into that first game for the White Sox, and they're missing their starting third baseman, their starting shortstop, Moncada and Tim Anderson. The ace that started the game went on the injured list shortly after that game. Um, South Bend, Notre Dame's own uh, A.J. Pollock's on the – well, he may not be on the injured list yet, but he's going to be with a hamstring issue. So you already have your ace and your starting right fielder plus your third baseman and shortstop, and then it, it just seems to keep happening to them. And I was watching – the game when Pollock tweaked his it looked like possibly his uh, buttocks but yeah <laughs> some kind of like high hamstring or something I mean it was just like what like a single and he was just kind of rounding first base and all of a sudden tweak yeah but that, to go to the dugout unfortunately he's had a good career but one that's been plagued by injuries a lot of those kind of injuries yeah and then you get a guy running in the cold it's not surprising that he got a little tweak. Hopefully it's something major and he yeah. can be back in the mix soon because the Sox need him. They're running out of bodies. I know. Big time. Big time. And then, then Andrew Vaughn is back, and he's belted a couple of home runs, and he started off injured as well. Or he was injured in spring training. Anyway. He, that's why they got A.J. Pollock because yeah. he had a hip pointer, and they thought he might be out for a month, and it turned out it was only a couple weeks. So now he's back in the mix, but he's also in a lot of trade rumors with Oakland for pitching. Because they also have Lance Lynn on the injured list, who almost yep. won the Cy That's Young right. last year. That's right. Best so you have, last your, year. you have your top two pitchers in the rotation on injured list and a couple question marks. It's interesting beginning of the season. So how do you feel about them right now? Took two out of three from Detroit. Not that anyone was really expecting anything from the Tigers, but they're sort well, of a I trendy little. I with that, yeah. You know. They have a lot of young talent. And they've been building towards making a run. I don't think they're there yet. They might be a year or two behind the White Sox in terms of a build towards division contender. Yeah. So that helps because they're the Sox are still they have a lot of good pieces still. Like when last year at this point, you know, Luis Robert got hurt early. Eloy Jimenez was out after spring training for half the year. So I feel pretty good about where the Sox are right now. You still have a lot of talent. 
And last year, I know it's early, it's only been three games, but last year it was the pitching saving the White Sox. And this year it's the offense that's been saving. So it's nice to see the offense clicking because that was kind of a worry point after last year, how they would start. So I, I feel okay with how they are. I think that they're going to be favored in most games still with their lineups. The pitching is the question mark. Are you a Javi Baez hater? Yeah. Are you? Yeah. So you're going to really, am. you're going to really love seeing him all those games in the division against the Tigers, then, huh? <laughs> yeah. He he had a few. He had a good Somebody opening get you day. Up. Yeah, he did. But then he had a couple bad at bats the next couple games, and I'm like, Phew. but that's Javi Baez, right? I mean, great he, one day and makes you shake your head the next. Nope, not if you not the people that love him. He's just good and flashy all the time. I think a, a baseball purist that's not taking sides would say he's a good ball player that makes great plays and makes dumb plays and yeah. great at bats and bad at bats. So no, I'm not excited about seeing him because he is pretty good. You can't argue with his talent, but it'll be nice when he strikes out. And that's yeah, exactly. exactly. And that happens a lot. So you know, we were just talking about all the ups and downs with your team, but they still took two, two out, out of three. three. I mean, you take two out of three in a series. You do that all year, you're going to win a lot of games. How long does it take you until you kind of, you know, like I'm talking about weeks, days, months on the calendar. How long do you go before you go, okay, this is a legit team, they're going to contend or, eh, you know, or how long, how long do you give them before you sort of uh, make that kind of uh, judgment call for yourself? I think that you got to give them <laughs> – I give a long time because the season's a long time. Like a month, two no, months? No, I was going to say at least until June. I think June's where you start to separate a good start from a good season, um, a bad start to a bad season or a bad start to a – like any mix of those. I think by June it's settled out. There's enough games. You have enough data points. You know, like for college football, that's always a term. Yeah. But I think you have enough data points. You start to see the guys that are emerging or the guys that are just going to be struggling all year. I think June plus the weather gets nice. My team's a Midwest team, so the weather yeah, is a start factor. To get, you start to get there to the middle of May. Yeah, the northern teams where the, where the ball starts carrying a little bit better and all that. And that's, I agree. It's like the end of May. By the end of May, you have a pretty good feel because whether it's a team, a player, whatever, how many hot starts have you seen in April? that's completely gone by the time the all-star break rolls around like they're a completely different looking team completely different player look at your guy your mean mercedes last year for <laughs> he was matter. a mirage from the beginning yeah. i never thought he'd make the roster for very long that was cool another guy who's injured right now though by the way too yeah well then look at a guy like carlos rodan who had a terrific year last year mm -hmm. had no gas left in the tank when it came to the playoffs that's why like this year it's like lance lynn's not going to play till probably around the all-star break that's fine because now if they're still in contention and you add that pitcher, so you don't even make a trade. You just add another guy that's a co-ace, they call him, Yeah, on the team. That's a huge addition. I mean, if you could flip Andrew Vaughn for some legit pitching, you'd be. I, I think that that's a good move for them. It depends when. Again, like you talk about, I want to see how it settles out first because like, the division should be winnable. So maybe you don't need to make a move right away. Like If they're four or five games up and it's May – just hold in place, see what you got, and see what you need a little bit later because you might flip them for pitching. That pitching could get hurt or not work out. And now now what do you do? Now you're already trading again? 
So I, I get it's what a, you're saying, but I don't know. He might be a talent that could be a key for a while. That AL Central is a really interesting division because the Sox are the only team that I would consider a true contender, but even they have their own questions. Yeah. But then, like, the Royals, the Twins, and the Tigers are all kind of in that you – know, they've got some nice young prospects, but they're still – Kind of like you were talking about with Detroit, a year or two away, but then like the Twins go out and sign Carlos Carrera, which made no sense. I know. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. And then all the all the Cleveland fans are are pretty upset about just the overall state of their franchise. Well, they right should now. be too. They signed, but up. they but they have the best manager in the division at the same time. Oh, absolutely. And they also they signed their Jose Ramirez to a long term deal, which is kind of baffling because by the time that they rebuild and are good, he won't be a part of that. So why would you give him that long contract with guaranteed money? But I, maybe the turnaround in that division will be quicker. I think that's why the Royals rushed up Bobby Witt. You know, he's but he's playing so far. He's looked good. Stole a base today. Made some nice. You know, made a headsy play. On the bases, I got to see a little bit of that before I came in, and and uh, he's looked. He had the game-winning hit in the season opener mm-hmm. on Friday. He's he's every bit the part that they expected him to be. Yeah, he's doing well, and, and he's young, and that's a guy that's going to be there for a while. And you had a guy like him and Whit Merrifield, and that team's starting to look like the pieces. And then when they say develop, they're not right now, but they could be like kind of like the 2014 team where they just have speed and they play the game in a certain way. And that's that's kind of how they're doing it. But what's What's so, you know, it's so frustrating as a fan of a smaller market team that they're always like for, you know, it's it's like two steps forward, you know, one step forward, two steps back kind of thing because it's like, okay, you start, you know, like look at Whit Merrifield. Now he signed the contract extension and all that, but by the time this organ, the team probably comes together, he's going to sign and be someplace else by the time it's all said and done. Or sold off on a bad season. Yeah. Because if they're... 20 games out and I don't know if they'll be that far out but if they're out pretty far he's a piece that you now, can trade away to they get had talent. opportunities to trade him the last couple of years and he said no he wanted to stick around I know so. and that's cool too and he's he's one of those guys if with Miracle, if you don't even know who he is I'm sure a lot of people don't he could be marketed as one of the stars of baseball with the way he's played he has power he has speed he has average if he was in a big if he played for the Yankees if they had him instead of Anthony Rizzo, I think that they could market him as a star. Did you see that thing on Twitter a couple weeks ago where they were like they had his swing and Mike Trout's swing side by side? Are they very they the similar? Video. They're exactly the same. Yeah, They're, they look like exactly the same guy, and that's pretty cool. And Trout's obviously, I mean, he's a superstar, but he still plays in Anaheim, so not quite the attention that guys in. Kansas City, the other get. side of town in blue, the Dodgers get. <laughs> See, that I don't know. Like you look at the White Sox, I think they have two stars, like mega stars, and Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert, and they've both been playing really well already this year. And that was kind of last year. Luis Robert had a good year, besides being injured for four months. Mm-hmm. Eloy kind of took a step back after two good years, so I was interested to see how they start, and it's nice to see that they're doing well. I saw some uh, Sox fans complaining about his defense over the weekend. Eloy's? Yes. Not Roberts, because he already has a gold yeah, glove. Eloy. Yeah. Eloy, you know, he doesn't belong out there. <laughs> it, it's not necessarily bad defense, because they, I don't know who they want out there playing. They don't have enough outfielders right now. Yeah. Vaughn's already filling it, like Adam Engel. Like, With all those injuries, that's exactly where they are right you're now. You're shuffling. you got to have somebody out there. 
But I did see that they said, was it Larusa that said, if he's batting less than 250, he's not playing the field. The field is a reward because Eloy wants to be out there. And it's one of those things that's wild, but um, I think it might have been Paul Canerco or Frank Thomas, one of them, their batting average at DH was dismal. Yeah. If they didn't play the field, they... A lot of guys are like that. Yeah. Yep. That's, so if it ca- keeps them in the game, okay. See, a liability, maybe. But you live with that for what you get with his bat. Yep. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we've got plenty of topics in rapid fire. An interesting one pertaining to college football scheduling, like the whole FCS thing with Notre Dame and Tennessee State we talked about last week. Different angle on that that we will cover. Uh, Some basketball stuff, Tiger Woods, the uh, K-Rod ESPN2 oh boy. telecast last night. We you're, will talk about that. You're teasing a lot of topics. Hope we get to them all. And there's a lot to come. We'll do that next. Rapid Fire on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Week. Who wants to have some fun? Rapid Fire starts now on Sports Radio 960 AM WSBT. And now your host, Sean Styers. Along with Bobby Hensley tonight's Bobby, I saw this interesting article over the weekend. Nicole Auerbach from The Athletic has an idea about what to do with Power 5 versus FCS games in college football. Where to play those games. She says, play those games in the spring. That way you get a real game instead of a spring scrimmage. So schools, you know, could charge closer to full price admission. It would also allow schools to go from 12 to 11 games in the fall, which would help with a potentially expanded college football playoff. So do you buy or sell the idea of moving the FCS games in lieu of a spring game to the, in lieu of a spring game? I buy. I read and there's several points in there and all I see are wins for everybody all around. I think, plus, and she doesn't bring it up, but the idea of you could institute new rules if you're trying to tinker with them. I did see, just to get this number out there before you go on, and I'll let you go on, I think it was 115 out of 130 FBS teams played an FCS team last year. So a very high percentage of FBS played an FCS team last year. I like it, and I I just like a lot of it. I like that you can use guys. Like the problem is, is as freshmen haven't been around long enough, maybe through spring practice to right. to skate out there. But then everybody else, I feel like it's just a good, it's a better idea of what's going on than playing against yourself. I think that I, I like the idea of less games in the fall if you're going to expand the playoff because it gives you more flexibility there. Yeah, like I say, I like the idea of instituting new rules like the NFL's tinkering with their overtime stuff like that you can tinker with i like the idea of it's more marketable versus a game of you know against yourself you can actually inner squad scrimmage yeah it's like how exciting is that and it gives you a run through of a lot of stuff like right now for notre dame specifically how awesome if marcus freeman gets another opportunity the bowl game was there but an opportunity to kind of you know, finesse your way into coaching without having to use up a week of preparation on a team that's not really up to your caliber anyway. And that's the thing. It's, you know, like it's a game that you should dominate. I don't know and it stops what you, the argument yeah. would be, pro or con, like who's got the advantage if you move it to the spring, and you know, as opposed to, 
you know the 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 fall in the regular season when you're playing it in the flow most most teams are playing these games either earlier in the season or like Alabama almost uses it as a bye week late in the season before playing Alabama or before, before Auburn play, Alabama yeah, game, yeah exactly the bowl, exactly yeah. um the only disadvantage i could see is kind of what you're talking about not all the freshmen are on campus yet uh, a high percentage even though you do have early enrollees most of them still get there in the summer for your summer workouts and all those things. Now, sometimes they're a factor, sometimes they're not, but you, you lose a class of your, you know, your, whoever's going to the NFL, whoever's graduated and all those things. And like, look at where Notre Dame is right now. Like they're pretty thin at wide receiver. So that's a factor. Um, a little bit thinner. Like if you're putting the, like I can see the, there's, there's a benefit, for example, say the offensive line like if you're thinner across the offensive line you're actually probably better off playing a game like this because if you're trying to put together a game where you're playing five offensive linemen on one side five on the other and you're thin at some yeah. spots you don't have two full offensive lines you know so you're probably better off in that situation it's kind of like is the keg half full or half empty because I'm a keg half full guy I think <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> I think that, that that those the weaknesses and the stuff you're talking about are also positives because now you can try somebody out at wide receiver that maybe you're thinking about and you're not going to throw them into the mix once the season starts but like maybe it's a good opportunity to throw a guy that was at running back at wide receiver and see yeah. how he performs against again lesser talent but a good run through well and again if you're a Notre Dame where you've got higher-end talent, you should be okay against an FCS team in the spring. If you're Kansas, where you've got lower-end talent, you're probably better off just saving that you know, for, for the fall, right? Sure. Because right, but this, the, the rankings, would they don't matter in the spring game. So maybe you bring in your backup quarterback in the second quarter. So you, Well, you still want to win that game. That game is still going to count on your record. It's just that you're playing it in the spring. Okay, well, but if you're up by 30 in the second quarter or even sure, 40 in the third quarter, yeah. You put your you impose your will early, maybe you put some people out earlier than you would cuz you're not worried about like you said about Notre Dame, but a lot of these schools like if you only win by 15 in the fall, like week 2 or 3, you're going to drop in the rankings. Yeah. Whereas if you win by 15 in the spring, it's like, wow, It'll they be... have some things to work on, and it might hurt the preseason rankings, which are garbage anyway. Yeah. But then you still have time to address issues. And well, see, that and that might be a drawback is the preseason rankings. The preseason which... rankings. People are going to use those spring games as a big gauge for where teams are and how they do against those, how you know, against FCS teams and that kind of thing. Well, another thing is just get rid of the preseason rankings. Don't have a ranking till week three. That's never going to happen. I know. Cause it gives <laughs> this marketability for television. I know you don't want to do it, but I know. Yeah, it's not From the happen. pure football standpoint, they're just stupid. But okay. So I, I mean, you're right. I see the drawback of, of having a close game in the spring, set you on a bad foot in the rankings for the fall. But again, you have a lot of time to address issues in between. And there's no saying you couldn't have a summer game that's not televised that's an inter-squad scrimmage just to see how they go at that point yeah I think the the idea of playing the FCS team at the end of your spring replacing the spring game one it's from a from a financial standpoint from a revenue standpoint when wonderful you're, when you're talking about uh, 10 15 maybe 20,000 I think probably at most of these spring games 
depending on where you are. You know, again, I'm <laughs> Purdue about- had theirs last weekend in terrible weather, and if they were playing a a division lower opponent, I think they would have had more people. That's exactly my point. You can charge a little bit more. Well, probably not even a little bit. You can charge more money. Fans are, I think, fans would be more excited about going to see an actual opponent, I would think, at the end of spring as opposed to a scrimmage, which is a glorified practice. Now, you're still formatting it like it's a game, but you can still change the rules as the game goes on, you know, like running clock in the second half as an example, which Notre Dame does i mean but you've got an actual tv product you can charge actual tickets i would think fans would actually be more apt to come to a game like that that is a real game as opposed to the spring game and it gives you a real game atmosphere so i I think that there would be a lot of wins for a situation like this i think there's more wins than there are losses because even the negatives those still exist in the fall if you were to play like you talk about the rankings yeah okay so worst so now you might drop five spots in the polls for preseason but if that's week three and you have that same score, you might drop more than that, Yeah, depending on how your season's going, obviously. So I think, I just think there's a lot of good there. I, In the marketability of the game, the fans enjoying it, I think TV in general, and like I said, yeah. they can still do their scrimmage later, just not televised. Like, I don't understand where we got to this point I mean, where how, we're going to televise and make money off the scrimmages. How cool would it be at the end of March and April to have real college football games to watch? As opposed to, I mean, there's there's a general lack of content at this time of year. Unless you're a big baseball fan or an NBA fan with a with the playoffs starting, couple Saturday. Basically, if if teams did this, pretty much every Saturday in April, you could have uh, you know your your TVs full of football, and then you also don't have those games on in, in the fall when you'd rather be watching your teams play higher level competition. Yeah, and it helps the lower teams too because they get to showcase themselves. Yeah, and they still get they still get the paychecks and all that stuff to come out as and, long as tickets are sold and everything else. And as a fan, it's like, well, I've never gone to a Notre Dame game because everything's too expensive. And you're saying you can charge a little more than the Blue Gold game, but it wouldn't be expen- as expensive as Notre Dame playing Michigan. Yeah. So maybe there's an opportunity for a family to go to a game that never gets to go. So I, I just see all the wins. I don't. I think that's a great idea. Yep, I do too. And again, that came from Nicole Auerbach from The Athletic. Play your FCS opponents in the spring. Replace the spring game with uh, an FCS opponent. Bottom line is there are some positives from this idea. Yeah. And, and the way it is, I don't see very many positives for the, when playing them in the fall the way they have. I'd love to hear all the objections, the Dabo Sweeney's, you know, and those kind of people, the the coaches, you know, because the coaches would start sounding off on this. I'd love to hear the objections they have to it. Yeah. Well, I, like I said. Because you know they're going to have them. They're going to tell you why it can't happen. Or well, and then some people are just stuck in the mud and don't want to do any change. Yeah. Jay Billis wants some change. He yeah. wants to, he wants to, you know, so we Ooh, talked about segue. Yeah, that's right. Talked about college football. Now, Jay Billis is always wanting to change something, it seems like. But well, he's smarter than the game. He, well, that's in some cases true. Um, but he he's got some rules that he wants to change in men's college basketball specifically. The top two go to quarters like the rest of the basketball playing world and advance the ball to midcourt for late game plays which the nba fiba and women's college basketball all do so do you buy or sell those for men's basketball men's college basketball i buy the quarters but not because everybody else is doing it 
I, I don't like just like, oh, the NBA and, and college women's. Well, I'm not saying just because know, everyone I, else but, is doing it. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying very specific. I think, well, and then it kind of ties hand in hand, you could argue. But the reason why I like quarters, it's more of a chance to coach up your team, especially in college, more stoppages, more breaking it down. You get longer timeouts, longer commercials at the end of the quarter. You know they're coming, so you, you know when they're coming. Because you can talk about subbing a guy out hoping to get that under 12 timeout you know to save on foul trouble or you're something. gonna get a natural break that like but, maybe you've got to call a timeout to get right now right and that's why i'm point so i give it 12 minutes it could be 11:59. you get that media timeout mm-hmm. or it could be nine minutes you know depending on how the flow of the game goes whereas this way the end of the quarter is a definite time so i think it helps with strategy i think it helps with coaching kids like because you know, if you're having a problem getting the ball inbounds and you're struggling with their defense or something like that, you can regroup and you have more stoppages. So I like the idea of four quarters. I think pace of the game, it, it moves it so much quicker. Doing it now, doing doing the women's game and having done it, obviously, with the old format, 20 minutes pace, it's like you're always counting down. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, it's like two minutes left. First quarter yeah. ends, yeah, and then it's like, Time out, and then you come back. So, you know, it's like boom. Now you're almost to halftime. It just, it's just the flow of the game, and it it creates its own different like excitements that you don't get when you have a half. Because what happens when the time is winding down at the end of each quarter? Those are like late game, late half type situations, and you get two more of those per game because of the fact that you have the end of a first quarter and the end of a third quarter where you've you've got to beat the clock, whereas if you're just doing a half, it's just another couple minutes of basketball in, in each half. Yeah, I like the thought of that because then you get more, like if you only have 15 seconds, or do you get the one-and-one? One, you can or not one-and-one. One, you can but get that. a half-court buzzer beater at the end of the first quarter and the end of the third quarter where you, you, know, you wouldn't right. be, or just you know even a 20 – five foot you know whatever it's like racing up court all these different things that again create their own different you know excitement scenarios that you're not getting just by playing halves and that's correct about the games but then also let's look at the way the world's going you can market so many more online bets and stuff based on the quarters <laughs> true too. which team's gonna win a quarter what's the spread for a quarter well yeah. this many threes are made in a quarter and then a half and then a third quarter like you can do so much more betting and that's kind of I don't know if their NCAA will ever admit it, but they that's part of the marketability, you know, and what Absolutely. gets people to watch. That is what gets people to pay attention or the bets. Um, one, one thing that I don't necessarily like about how the women do it, and it sounds like, you know, like if the men instituted it, because I saw Billis uh, address this in the article that he wrote about this, is the fouls. Like they reset the fouls. After each quarter, I don't understand why they do that. Because, again, like the NBA, they don't reset the fouls. In high school, they don't reset the fouls. They they all stay the same. And and the other thing they do is do away with the one-and-one. One. So, like, there wouldn't be one-and-one one situations. You get to five fouls, five team fouls per quarter, and then you shoot two free throws after that. And, like, people say, well, you know, they shoot the one-and-one one because you earn the second free throw. Billis's argument is, well – you were fouled, so you've already earned the right to shoot the second free throw. You shouldn't have to have the one and one. Do you care one way or the other if they I, do away with the one and one? If they did that, I like the one and one because, yeah, you earn it, but it puts more pressure on having good free throw shooters and on who you foul. That's yeah. the part of the strategy I enjoy. That's true. It, earning it. Yeah, you still there's there's still that there, even if 
you would get the automatic two. There's just a guaranteed two chances to get those shots as opposed to, you know, you have to earn the second one. And earning's a weird word because he's right. You do earn the, you earn the idea to go to the stripe by getting the foul. Yeah. But like, okay, at the end of the second quarter especially, or any quarter, third quarter too, maybe not the first as much, but you know if you can go and get this guy to the line with enough seconds left, it's end-of-game situation. He's probably a 50% free throw shooter. He could miss that. Now we can get another possession and we can score, and it changes the complexion of the end of that quarter and the momentum. So I like the idea of, of putting pressure on the free throw shooter and on the fouling. Now, you said you don't like the advance the ball rule, though. Why not? I didn't say that. but Oh, I thought you did. I thought you said you liked the quarters, oh, but you didn't like I advance just, the ball. The other rule. I was Bill just was, doing them separate. I just said I definitely like that one. The, the, advance, the advance the ball, the ball rule, rule is end of, you know, like late in the game, under a minute to go. You call a timeout. You get the ball. You, you get to inbound at a half court rather than, you know, back on the baseline. And, it, you know, have to come out of backcourt and all that stuff. Some of this is just people that don't like change. And I might fall into that on this one because I'm just so used to seeing. It's interesting to me. Like, you don't have that Christian Leitner moment if you advance the ball to half court. You could call a timeout, you know, and then they're shooting a three. But you still have – it might not be the Christian Leitner moment, which, by the way – Wasn't off a timeout. Well, no, I'm just saying very few of those. Sure. Like, there's a reason we remember that. Because right. That was one of the only ones, and it's been like 30 years now since that happened. But you still get, like when I was at the ACC Women's Tournament, Miami upset Louisville. They inbounded at half court. They inbounded down to the short corner with, you know, like a couple seconds left. Girl did a turnaround, 18 footer from down to the corner, hit the buzzer. That's not going to happen with like one and a half, two seconds left if you've got to go the length of the court. Yeah, I know, but. So, I mean, so it still sets but, up situations where you, you've got better opportunities for some buzzer beaters and things like that. Yeah, so... It, it I, might not go full length of the court or three quarters of the court, but you can. it still, I think it creates some different excitement and lets you set it, some different things up. Oh, it definitely does. I'm just not sure if I'm okay with that. Because like, I like Ty Sedney going coast to coast for UCLA. I like... The Bryce Drew. That's a good one. That's a good one. The I Bryce about Drew that. play for Valpo, or like the older Notre Dame fans would remember Danny Ainge yeah. and something similar to that. And yeah, coast to coast. Yeah, and that's neat. And then, like you get those moments instead of a guy that just gets the ball off an inbounds and maybe makes a shot. So for me, I don't. You're rewarding the timeout or the saving of the timeout in my mind. I just don't know if I'm okay like sacrificing some of the last possession because like in the NBA that almost like. Okay, they make both free throws. There's two seconds left. But they're going to advance it and take a shot. I so, guess what I don't understand is if it's good enough for the NBA, why isn't it good enough for college ba- for you know for men's college basketball? And that's kind of what I was saying earlier. It's like just because the NBA does it doesn't make it right for college. Or because I like having some diversity in the product as but well. But at the same time, the women's game has both of these rules, but the men's don't. And that's interesting. <laughs> but I don't like it because. I don't want to just reward your timeout usage, and that's what you're kind of doing. And in yeah, your absolutely, I can see that. you're absolutely right that it would create more end of game um, strategy and some fun moments. Yeah, but I don't know if it's you talk about deserving or like earning. I don't know if you earned the right to just have the ball with a couple seconds that you could tip in. Yeah. All right, we're gonna take a timeout. When we come back, I wanna I wanna hit this K Rod. Thing oh, from boy. last night, is, and I know you're really excited about it too. We'll do that next on yeah. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat.
Bye. How's it going, Bob? It, <laughs> it's good to... You too. Yeah. Rapid Fire and Budweiser's weekday sports beat continue. We've got just a few minutes to go here. Fill in the blank. The new K-Rod Gamecast <laughs> with Alex Rodriguez and Michael K., which is baseball's version of the Manning cast, debuted last night on ESPN2, and it was blank. Awful. <laughs> I, a punishment is what I texted you. It's right. I texted you. I texted Bobby, watch this K-Rod cast tonight so we can talk about it tomorrow. And Bobby texts back, that feels like a punishment. <laughs> yeah, and you said, why? And I was like, okay, maybe I'm off base. I'll watch it. And I didn't reply to you. And then you replied back, this is even worse than I thought. <laughs> Man, it okay. really was. Part of it's that they weren't paying attention to the game at all. Where well, the, the Manning cast, but they like, go... There were, there were times where they spent like too much time sure. on the game. Because Michael Kay, for people who don't know, he's the Yankees TV play-by-play announcer. Yeah. And so they've got a play-by-play guy and A-Rod in this booth... But they're not doing a traditional broadcast. Again, they want it to be conversational like Eli and Peyton Manning. So they're they're just talking. But there were times when Michael Kay was like too much play-by-play. But there were other times where they were talking about everything but what's going on in the game. They couldn't figure out what they were trying to be. And it's almost, I don't know if they were fed topics maybe. But the thing that makes the Manning cast good, if you want to compare and contrast them, is that the, the guests almost, the way they interacted mm-hmm. with the guests, the way they promoted some of the guests but talked to them and then the k-rod one it was just like everybody just felt like they were forced to be there and they didn't really have a flow or a structure and they just kept talking about contracts too much yeah and i didn't watch the whole thing but when they were talking about like a-rod's contract and how he almost got to the red sox and then they had big poppy on and he was talking about and i thought he was interesting but then there would be long silences as well and i think that michael k keeping the book almost hurt him because he would stop in the middle of something but and make notes but you also got to do that in in baseball in real, right but th- but they're not that that's true do you really need it does it really matter no you know what and the they're guy watching, did his last at bat yeah. they're watching a feed where it pops up and they're just talking during it so it should I, be that's I, I guess he's used to being a play like right the, yeah there i was, understood there was but. one point where i was watching where both of them were like pulling up their books and they're just it's like they're not even saying anything they're yeah. filling out their scorecard it's like this is just painfully bad here's here's the problem because <laughs> that Doing that, just like what you were talking about, Eli and Peyton, it's it's obvious, you know, they're they're brothers, yeah. so there's different levels to that. But and they're they, but both they, athletes, right? But they also get along with each other. I just, you just don't feel like there are enough guys who truly, you know, former players who truly liked Alex Rodriguez to sit there and do that with him for four hours on a Sunday night. That's why they've got Michael Kay, I think. But I don't think you want a play-by-play guy sitting there because it was just not natural. If it had been Big Poppy and A-Rod almost, that would have been better, yeah. more entertaining. You know who was actually good? Did you see any of the Clemens interview? No, I missed his. It was actually – I was not looking forward to that at all. And he was pretty it good. it was actually pretty good. It was – to me, it was it was better than the Poppy interview, even because like Poppy was just yes. like a little too much. Poppy, like, yeah. I mean, like you could tell he was in another country. I didn't like the video connection wasn't yeah quite as clean as it needed to be, I think. But the Clemens stuff was pretty good, and the and Michael K asked him about being left out of the hall and all that. Now he went a little PR spin with, oh, you never test. He asked him about the PEDs, but he's like, well, you never tested positive for PEDs. Well. 
<laughs> if you look at where Clemens career ended 2007 they just started testing at the end of his career so if he didn't test the last couple weeks when then, he yeah. was twilight air, air quotes suspected or you know pretty much known to have done that. the peds it was well before that before right. the testing started and all that kind of thing so yeah he never te- you know he never tested positive because they weren't doing it and he probably quit by the end because he knew what was coming for him yeah well I another guest was jeff passon i thought he was yeah, see, now that I missed, but I heard that was pretty good. Too. He was funny, and, and he's such a source and wealth of knowledge. He's like yeah. what Peter Gammons used to be, kind of. And it's cool to hear him talk, because he could talk about every player on every other team. And I always think of Sunday Night Baseball as kind of like the state of baseball each week. You're not watching that necessarily to hear them call the game. Yeah, but they're like the Kirkjans and the Buster Olneys and those kind of guys, like along the lines of, yeah. a pet. you know, again, I don't know what the relationship with a rod is but those kind of guys to me would would make a lot better or like even like a guy like cruck john cruck you know again i don't know what the relationship is with a rod the bigger problem is espn is totally infatuated with a rod and they think that he's still the one to hang their hat on but yeah i think there are a lot of different options that could make something like this good but i just that's not i just don't think he's the guy yeah and it's interesting because i think he's really good on a on a desk before a game or after a game but I don't think during the game is where he excels. Yeah. As a personality, he's he's got personality, and he For has. Sure. And it's not like he had a bad career or was a bad ball player. But I, I think he's better on a desk. No, he just took steroids. Well, <laughs> so did so and many. He, and he's not likable. Well, so many others have as well. And I don't know if it's softening on those kind of guys. But, you know, at least they know the game. Because he wasn't – well, he probably did take steroids forever. But when he, he came up knowing how to play, and I, I – it's not necessarily that. It's just they need a better personality to try and do the second screen. Yep, I agree. All right, well, that's going to do it for tonight. We're going to have abbreviated versions of the show the rest of the week because we've got South Bend Cubs baseball coming up. I will talk to you later. We are brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you. Tim Growl State Farm Insurance, call 574-232-9981. Barnabies of Mishawaka and Granger and the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Talk to you tomorrow, Budweiser's Weekday Sports Week, WSBT South Bend. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous spicy range rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today.